We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast. I'm Ricky O'Donnell. I'm here with Jason Pat. Not a lot going on with the Bulls right now or with the NBA in general uh, as we head into August, but Jason, we published a pretty interesting piece by Michael Pena at SPNation.com this week. Dare I say the most optimistic story of the offseason regarding not only Bulls free agency, uh, but just their future in general. Uh, Michael Pena, I'm going to read off a few pieces a uh, few parts of this article, and then I'll get your take on it, Jason. So uh, here he goes in the second paragraph. For the first time in a long time, the Bulls showed foresight. Their best window to capitalize in free agency before their own young talent starts to eat up that cap space is in the summer of 2021. The Bulls appear to, appear to be embracing a concept they've willfully ignored for the past 20 years, pragmatism. Uh, and then he goes on. If last year was rock bottom, the Bulls had the fifth worst winning percentage in franchise history and won their fewest games since 2002, then organization-wide progress will be judged by the development of their core. Lowry Markinen, Wendell Carter Jr., Kobe White, and Chandler Hutchison. The best-case scenario will yield a franchise point guard, center, and power forward with an athletic wing on the side. There's upside in that group, and Markinen, who averaged 18.7 points and 9 rebounds per game last season, should crack several all-star games. Factor in the offensive punch provided by 24-year-old Zach Levine and 26-year-old Otto Porter Jr., and the Bulls can market themselves as the Eastern Conference's most intriguing team of tomorrow particularly if someone else hits besides Mark. And then as an aside, he says the Atlanta Hawks will have something to say about that, but it's a debate worth having. Uh, Pena wraps this one up by saying, so long as they don't get in their own way, the Bulls can afford to be cautiously optimistic about the future. Combine this summer signings with a gifted young roster, future cap flexibility, and the everlasting truism that NBA, that large NBA markets lead a less complicated life than small ones. And what you have is a sleeping giant. Jason. Oh, man. Sleeping giant. Those big words there. Before I give you my take, I do have to mention that uh, this week's podcast is brought to you by Harry's, harrys.com. We will talk about them a bit later and their sweet shaving deals. But sleeping giant, the bulls, I mean, that does kind of uh, vibe with what we've been talking about this whole off season. Like we've been, we've like last week we had Sean Hyken on and we were talking about possible playoff stuff and just this entire off season in general. We've been 
kind of hyping up the team as maybe not a playoff team, but just in the 2021 plan, all that. I, we have, we're, I know we're still skeptical about that. So I feel like he's going a bit farther than that. But we have talked about how they have done good stuff this summer and that there, there's at least a possible pathway uh, to them maybe being a team. He brings up the Nets and the Clippers and kind of having that rebuild happen overnight and turning into a supposed giant. We saw that the Nets got two superstars. Clippers got two superstars. Like I'm not going to say the Bulls' 2021 20, plan is going to be is some flawless thing. He also admits you need a lot of luck to make it work. We've seen the Bulls strike out in free agency before, but I mean, there is all the stuff he says is definitely true. There is promise there. So I'm, I mean, like I said, I'm not going to uh, rule out. I appreciate the optimism. And I think it's just kind of weird to see the optimism from from him. I feel like we've kind of seen it from across the league. We've seen multiple national writers talk about how the Bulls have done good things this offseason, and it's just kind of freaking weird because that uh, we really haven't seen that much lately. Yeah. So in the tweet and. Michael's in Japan right now. Otherwise, we'd have to get him on the show so he could talk about this. But he said the Bulls can do what the Nets and Clippers just did. The Bulls are a sleeping giant. So uh, now calling them the Eastern Conference's team of tomorrow, I think that that's a little bit of a stretch, especially when, you know, you have a team like the Bucks who have the player of tomorrow with Giannis. They currently employ him. He's only under contract for two more seasons. I definitely think there's a good chance Giannis could leave the Bucks. That can we can fill an entire podcast uh, with that, but you know, there's a chance Giannis could stay there too. I think no one knows at this point. So I would say the Bucks have a significant leg up on the Bulls just by the fact that they currently have Giannis and can keep him in the future. Uh, the 76ers, I mean, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, both of those guys have a much brighter future, I would say, than anyone the Bulls have. I'm not really a huge Simmons guy. I think that, you know, in the right system, surrounded by shooters, uh, him mostly playing at the four or the five, I think that he could be really good uh, or even better than he's been thus far. If you like utilize his talents in the right way, Embiid Simmons, not a perfect pairing, of course, in the front court for Philly, but I still think Philly has a much better, you know, uh, a much brighter future than the Bulls, even though they are relying on Embiid and his health. uh, You're relying on, you know, people like Al Horford aging gracefully. I guess we're talking about three, four years from now when you're discussing the team of tomorrow, but uh, the Sixers are another team I'd put ahead of the Bulls. The Celtics, I mean, they have Jason Tatum. I don't think any of the Bulls' young prospects are as highly touted as Jason Tatum. The Celtics have also signed a max free agent three years in a row with Horford, Hayward, uh, and this year with Kemba Walker. So they've actually showed an ability to land max free agents, which the Bulls have never done. And then you have Brooklyn, uh, who has a pretty good young core around KD and Kyrie. So w- basically what Pena is saying is that the Bulls are the Eastern Conference team of tomorrow. I think we're moving at least three, maybe even five years down the line. One issue I have with that, though, is that team building doesn't really occur in these like super long stretches anymore. Especially in today's NBA, the contracts are shorter. You're not really like uh, hoarding guys and developing them as a group over like a five-year period. Like that's just unheard of in today's NBA, right? So I think that mostly what you have to look at is just front offices you trust to consistently make good decisions, uh, to manage their assets properly, and to hit on their draft picks. Now, the Bulls did have a really good free agent period this year. I do think that, you know, Bulls fans should be a little bit more optimistic about the long-term direction of the franchise because, for once, Gar Foreman and John Paxson didn't make the same mistakes we've seen them make year after year over the last 15 seasons. 
I have speculated on this podcast that perhaps there are some other younger voices in the room now that the Bulls are uh, listening to, that Paxson and Foreman are listening to. I think that for Bulls fans, that's great. Paxson and Foreman deserve credit for, if they have done this, empowering those younger voices. Uh, And I think that that would be a reason for the rest of the fan base to be more optimistic moving forward. Hey, they just stole Otto Porter. They just got Sadoransky on a really good deal. Granted, both of those moves were ripping off the Wizards, so I don't know how much credit we give them for that. They nabbed Thad Young. That was a great player to target and a team-friendly contract. Good player. Uh, So, you know, if the Bulls actually have a smart front office now, which is a huge if... If that is the case, then I can start to buy this a little bit more. But that's a pretty big leap in logic to make. Like, oh, the Bulls are smart now because they had one good free agency period. I still come back to the decision to re-sign Boylan. So much of how this uh, front office deserves to be graded on the offseason is going to come down to just how good of a coach Jim Boylan is. If the Bulls, you know, finish five, six games worse than the Orlando Magic, worse than the team like the Pistons, I think it's a major reflection on Boylan. Throw the throw the Magic in there, too. Uh, it's a major reflection on Boylan because this team should be good enough to at least like somewhat compete for 500. I know Vegas is disagreeing, so, uh, you know, Perhaps Vegas is smarter than the fan base. Vegas had the Bulls at 30 wins. We can talk about that more a little bit later if you want to as well. But uh, just some some interesting optimism from Pena, someone who I like a lot. I like his uh, general NBA takes quite a bit. Uh, Really optimistic, but hey, I guess we'll take it, right? Yeah, and uh, talk about Vegas and those odds. The the Bulls have actually been going up right after the finals ended, uh, like, I think it was points bet some, I think, offshore book, I think in like New Jersey or something. They had the Bulls at, I believe it was 27 and a half right after the season ended. Since then, they've gone up to 31 and a half. Caesars opened last week at 29 and a half. They, they're up to 31 and a half. And then Westgate opened the Bulls at 33 and a half. I actually just wrote something for Bet Chicago I published this morning about Westgate having the Bulls basically two wins above the market. Uh, Jeff Sherman, who works at the Westgate, I got a quick quote from him just about how basically like, it had nothing to do with any of the other books. They basically had their team look at look at the situation and put the Bulls at 33 and a half. So I feel like that probably right a little optimism there. And then if you look at some of the analytical model, models that are out there, uh, I believe we've mentioned Jacob Goldstein, B-Ball Index on the pod before. He had them up the Bulls at like 38, 39. If you look at 538's uh, Carmelo forecast, he has the they have the Bulls at 37 wins. So like. I feel like between those analytics, I know Vegas doesn't have them at high yet. I do wonder if maybe more bets on those overs will come in and if they'll keep going up, we'll see. Like I said, they've gone up pretty significantly since they first started right after the finals. So I feel like there are generally is the optimism there. Um, In terms of, I think this is a good actually transition. I mentioned the Carmelo forecast. The Ringer actually recently just did an article looking at the young cores. And this kind of goes into the discussion we were just having about the Bulls as, as a team of tomorrow uh, and with their young core and what kind of promise they have. And they, the ringer did something based off 538's Carmelo forecast. It's some analytics. They, uh, they do like war projections and stuff like that. And they did the ringers. They did basically tw- every, every team, every, uh, every guy 25 and under, I think it was like 25. They have to be 25 or under starting like in the middle of next season. The bulls actually did not grade out very well that they were like 14th. So like middle of the pack you mentioned the Sixers, the Sixers way up there. I believe Pena mentioned the Hawks as a possible team that could have something to say about it. The Hawks are in the top 10 here. Uh, if you look at, like I said, the Bulls were at 14th, and like Lowry Markinen was the top bull with only like, they did they did five-year uh, war projections, and Lowry was at like 
like 11 over the next five years, which isn't that great. Zach Levine, not that high either. Wendell Carter Jr., also not that high. So the, the, I feel like the advanced sets, we know that they've never liked Zach Levine. So it's not that surprising to see them kind of low on the bulls. I feel like the projections for Lowry were a bit lower than I would expect because uh, I, I did a quick thing at Bloggable about this. And like the Spurs were 15th and Jakob Podol was like, had like the same five-year war projection as Lowry. If, that's, if that like comes to fruition, that's probably not, not good at all. So it's, it is interesting to see just kind of the different viewpoints between how some of the analytics view the bulls young core how just kind of the national media and a little bit more optimism in general between them. Uh, what do you make of those of those rankings? Uh, the the Carmelo rankings having the Bulls fourteenth at the young core. I feel like that. I feel like that kind of undersells them a bit. I don't want to be, go like full homer here on this, but I feel like some of these like the I feel like some of the Bulls young players are a bit better than those uh, projections show. Yeah, my gut feeling is that they're slightly better, but. That's probably a fair spot. I don't know. Like, let's compare the Bulls' young rebuild to the Suns' rebuild, right? Yeah. Uh, so, for the Suns, you got Carter versus Aiton. Aiton was, of course, the first pick in the draft. Carter went seventh in the same draft. I don't think it's a crazy opinion to think that Wendell Carter may have a, a better chance to co- contribute to winning at a high level instead of Aiton because Aiton has major issues defensively. I think that Carter might be a better bet to shoot it from the outside. Carter's a much better passer. Uh, I think he's better at putting the ball on the floor too as a dribbler. So uh, I think that there's at least a chance that you could view that as a wash for the Bulls. Now, Aiton obviously is just a super efficient scorer, uh, just a total beast inside. He's like a throwback 90 center, like someone like uh, I don't know, Patrick Ewing yeah. or something. But, you know, th- I think that, you know, that is something where you, you can debate it either way. And then you got Levine versus Booker. I think most people would probably view Booker as a superior player and a superior prospect. But they're somewhat similar in age. Uh, Levine is 24. Booker is going to turn 23 uh, in October. So uh, I think that, you know, while Booker does have an edge right now and probably long term, I don't think it's like an insurmountable edge for Zach to uh, work through. Really, they're similar players in a lot of respects, uh, especially with the defensive struggles. They're both guys who tend to grade out poorly in the advanced stats. Uh, They both score somewhat efficiently. So uh, I think that, you know, that one's pretty interesting. And then at small forward, you got Michael Bridges for the Suns, only 22. I think the best case scenario for Michael Bridges is that he ends up being Otto Porter. Porter is 26. He can opt out of his contract after this year with the Bulls. Uh, so, you know, a team like the Suns, what are they, sixth in that ranking? And the Bulls are fifth. They are. To me, there's a chance, at least, that the Bulls could close that gap. We haven't brought up Kobe White yet. I'm still optimistic on Kobe. I still think he can be a good player. Yes, he struggled in summer league. So did Steph Curry. It's not that big of a deal. I still think that Kobe has a you know a bright future, or at least he'll have a chance to be a good player. Uh, so I don't know. It's it's it all goes into this idea that like the Bulls are building towards something, but how high is the ceiling? I think that that's the real question this year. They clearly move the floor up in terms of. Uh, you know, they're not going to win 22 games anymore. At least we hope not. They should at least be competing for the eight seed in the East. Of course, getting the eight seed in the East, Jason, it's not that big of a prize. The Bulls should be setting their sights higher than that. And it's going to come down to internal improvement. It's going to come down to, you know, if they can finally land a superstar in a, a year, the next year or two. So it, it is interesting. I said, like, interesting. We've said, though, like if they get the eight seed next year, 
that's great. That's a huge improvement. They need to be mediocre before they can actually be good. It's just where do they build from there? And we, the the Suns are all the, the Suns have also been awful for a long. They've been basically just as embarrassing as the Bulls. So like in terms of like them, they're they're also just kind of banking on their internal improvement. They've kind of had a, another weird offseason though. Like they they drafted Kobe White's teammate Cam Johnson. There was that whole viral video. They took him I think eleventh, and even Kobe White couldn't believe that he went that high. They did some other weird stuff with like their cap space. I can't remember all the moves they did, but I feel like the general consensus was that they had a strange offseason while the Bulls had a pretty good offseason. So while I mean, the Suns have whatever, based on this young core, this war thing on 538 and the ringer rankings that they did, like while they're number six, like they still have a ton to prove as well. So it definitely will be interesting to see these teams that they have this a lot of I feel like a lot of teams can can amass this young talent. It is a matter of how it develops, how they can put together, how they add to it with veteran parts, and then ultimately if they can get if one of the one or two turn into a superstar, or if they can get a superstar, it will certainly be very interesting to see. Uh, before we move on, let's take a break for a quick word from our sponsor, Harry's. All right, guys, we've got an announcement to make. Blue Wire's teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, a travel bl- and a travel blade cover. You get all of that for just $3 shipped right to your door. Enough of the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's is fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that are overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for 95 years. So join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for only $3. All right, uh, moving on. talking about the Bulls' young cores, well, Wendell Carter Jr. actually just recently did an interview with um, Scoop B, Brandon Robinson of uh, Heavy.com. Uh, just had him on. To talk. One of the ma- main kind of takeaways from the interview was kind of talking about his offense. We saw Wendell do some things offensively. He had a few big games. But I feel like we just didn't really get to see much of the whole package. We didn't really get to see him shoot that many threes. We didn't really get to see him initiate the offense that much. Uh, And one of the things he said offensively, just need to be more aggressive on the offensive end. He feels like what he did defensively was good. But he feels like offensively he deferred a lot. So this summer, I just want to work on being a very capable capable shooter from all three levels and being able to create my own shot. Um, and I feel like that's definitely something we would love to see. I feel like we've talked about the versatility that Carter brings to the floor and that we would like to see him expand his game and that, that hopefully Jim Boylan play, plays through him, whether it's in the high post, whether it's uh, giving him the ability to or the green light to shoot three-pointers. Because he barely shot, I feel like, any three-pointers last year, even though he was a pretty decent three-point shooter, at least on very small volume at Duke. He was pretty solid. So I guess – Asking you, Ricky, just what would you like to see out of Wendell Carter Jr. on the offensive end, just kind of based on those comments and just based on what, what we've seen out of him and what his skill set that, that he has? I have a lot of confidence in Wendell Carter Jr. that he's going to be a really good player as long as the Bulls don't horribly misuse him. I think that what they need to realize is that Wendell Carter Jr. is what, like the second best passer on this entire team? 
Put the ball in Wendell Carter Jr.'s hands and let him make decisions. I have more faith in Carter making decisions in a lot of ways than I do with Levine. You can run your offense through your big men if they're versatile, and that's what the Bulls have in Markkinen and Carter. I want to see a lot of four or five pick and rolls this year with Markkinen initiating the offense. I want to see Carter making decisions on the short roll. I want to see Carter you know, not exclusively being used as a back-to-the-basket scorer. Quite frankly, that's like the weakest part of his game. I don't want him posting up guys, uh, you know, in the paint near the basket. What I want him to do is to either try to beat someone off the dribble, pop a jumper in their face, or just move the ball. He is a really gifted passer. I think that that's something hopefully that we'll see more out of him in his sophomore season. So uh, some some good quotes from Wendell. And, you know, the part about creating his own offense, I think that that would be the one thing that would really just take his game to the next level, right? Like right now, Right. Markman's the one guy who like has the ability to create his own offense and to score. We think of Carter as the type of dude who's going to contribute to winning, but maybe not put up big scoring numbers. Uh, man, if something could flip in him and he was able to, you know, create off the dribble a little bit more, that could really open up his offense as it does with any young player in the NBA, take his game to the next level. So some great quotes from Wendell. I love where his head's at coming into this offseason. Yeah, he he seems like a, a a real good guy to have around. Got his got his head on his shoulder. Right? He's just a smart player, very skilled. He had he I think he put something on Instagram also recently, just talking about how the the team let the city down this past season. Just obviously they were so bad, and they were just 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 an ugly season. And yeah, he seems really dedicated to getting better. Really excited to see that. Really excited to see how saw see how he does. Next season, moving forward, because he's just going to be a really important part, I think. Just not only we talk about the offense now, but he mentioned how he liked what he did defensively. He's going to have to be, hopefully, that defensive anchor that the, the team needs because they were a really bad defensive team last season. Uh, they're going to need to get better in terms of rim protection, in terms of just overall defense, and he's going to play a big part of that. So hopefully we see a big-time second season and a nice big jump from him. And he's, still, he's still super young. It's easy to forget just how young he really is. He was, I believe, one of the youngest players coming into the draft in 2018, correct? Correct. Yeah, so yeah. So he's got a very promising future. Even if he he might not have whatever, superstar potential, all that stuff. We People have talked about him being a safe pick. I wrote it. I feel like that was a pretty standard line that he was safe pick at number seven. But he is just the amount of skills that he has and just like his floor should be really high. And if he's if he can be a close to all, all-star level, if he is an Al Horford type, that'd be huge for the Bulls. Yeah, and really... Talking about, yeah, go ahead. You know, that isn't a safe pick. Like, right. if he lives up to that, like, safe pick sounds like a pejorative, yeah. right? It sounds like a knock on his game. Really, right? Sure, sure. it just means he's really good. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess talking about superstars, if we're going to finish up here... We didn't mention this last week. Totally forgot. We we were talking about a bu- bunch of other stuff with Sean Eichen, but Anthony Davis was in town. I believe it was for a Nike event. Naturally, he's on the Lakers now. He basically forced his way there. But naturally, being fr- he's a Chicago guy and in town for the for the camp, he was asked about playing for the Bulls, about about the basketball scene in Chicago. He came out and he had a quote where he's like. You know, Chicago's the Mecca of basketball. You can quote me on that. And then asking him about the, uh, answering about the Bulls, he's like, his quote, hold on, Casey Johnson at the Tribune wrote, wrote this up. And he's just said, I mean, it's definitely hometown. If the opportunity ever presents itself and when that time comes, I definitely consider it. Let's talk about playing for the Bulls. And then Jalen Rose, former Bull himself, uh, ESPN's Jalen Rose, I think it was on Get Up, and he kind of put more fuel on the fire saying, you know, like, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Anthony Davis is already planting seeds 
with the Bulls. Yeah, this is the exact quote was, you know, guys are planning years ahead. I'm going to say this right now. Don't be surprised if Anthony Davis ends up with the Bulls. He's already planting seeds. Like, I'm pretty sure he was not referring to like next summer when he's talking about that. I don't think he was going to force his trade to the Lakers and then try to go to the Bulls one year after that, no matter how, if, even if the Lakers turn into a big disaster. I feel like he's probably talking about, yeah, like when he's like 34 after probably a long tenure with the Lakers. But uh, I mean, I guess this is just great offseason fodder. Uh, I mean, what do you make of make of these quotes? Do you think there's any chance the Bulls? We talk about them being a team on the rise. Like, could would if things go poorly in LA either next year or the next few years? Like, do you think there's any chance at any like what chance? I guess what chance would you put uh, that Anthony Davis ever suits up in a Bulls uniform when he's like anywhere close to his prime? Oh man, I have no idea. Like, <laughs> you know, was Powell anywhere close to his prime when he went to the Bulls? It depends exactly how you're going to answer that question, right? I mean, I'm saying if he's like 30, under 35, I would da- what's Davis right now? Like 26, 27. So I guess within the next five to seven years? I definitely think it's possible. I mean, everyone is already assuming that Davis is going to re-up with the Lakers for a long-term right. deal. I think that's a safe assumption, but once guys get on their third contract... It's just a lot more fluid in terms of player movement. Uh, we've seen that with a lot of the high-level guys over the last couple of years. So I do think there's a chance, perhaps. Davis is only going to be 27 in March. So he's going to play most of this year as a 26-year-old. It's incredible to think how young he is. He has had some injury issues, but uh, you know, before this year when he was being held out for non-injury reasons, he's played at least 61 games in every year. So uh, I, I do think there's a chance for the Bulls to maybe one day land him down the line. It's really going to depend on how promising the rest of the team is looking, right? And, you know, if I'm the Bulls right now, the number one thing I'm thinking about is just what star do we want to get and how can we get him? Maybe they want Carl Anthony Towns and they're coming up with ways to try to get Towns. Maybe they want uh, Devin Booker or... I mean, I feel like Giannis. I feel like Giannis is like the natural one to look at. He's already playing in Milwaukee, uh, so it wouldn't be that far. And he's he's up in 2021. If like the Bucks somehow fall apart, yeah. I feel like Giannis is going to be the, the the main prize, the possible prize of 2021. If he actually looks to leave, it's, who knows if he's going to It seems to unlikely to me the Bulls would get him, though. Right. Like, he would be more likely to go to the Warriors to me than the Bulls. Well, they got to sure. like identify the star they could potentially get who's still really good. Maybe it's Victor Oladipo, but he's a little bit older. I think that he's, what, like 28 already? Uh, and bad injury. And just coming off the injury, yeah. So, you know, who knows? I kind of like Towns. I think Towns is a little bit slept on in terms of just how good he is. I think he's entering the first year of a five-year deal, but it feels like yeah. a ticking clock, doesn't it, with Carl Towns? He's going to be sure. out of Minnesota oh, yeah. eventually, so... Uh, interesting stuff from Davis. Gotta love that he's riding for the city. The city has not produced players of his caliber for a long time. There was a time, Jason, when Chicago was producing a top two pick in the NBA draft every year from Evan Turner to, uh, you know, Julia Okafor, uh, to AD himself. So I would love to see the city get back to that. I think that Davis coming home to Chicago would be a great story, but it's on the Bulls to make themselves, you know, an appealing fit for him three, four years down the line. I think that's the timetable we'd be talking about. Right. And that just kind of brings us full circle to what we started the podcast with. Like, are, are they a team of the future? Are they a sleeping giant that can make themselves um, attractive to a superstar, whether it's free agent, whether it's through trade, and that's going to be the big question at this point. The promise is there, but there's just still so much more work to do. Internal development in terms of selling the 
I've, because I feel like just in general, the even if the Bulls just aren't in terms of just like how people view them, they just don't see them as being good. They don't see like the front office. People talk about how the Clippers and they have Steve Ballmer, who's super excited, and that they have great management. And the Nets, they talk about the culture and that Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson of what they've built. Like the Bulls don't have any of that. They have promising players, but they have to build. They have to prove that they're a place that people want to play, and that that, that they have, and that they have that good that good uh, that structure in place in their front office. And we'll we'll have to see if they can do that. That's going to be one of the big questions about them moving forward. Um, I guess one more last thing. Thaddeus Young retweeted. Uh, I think that was like I think it was the NBC account, or the Bulls might have even just tweeted the the old '90s black and red pinstripe Bulls jerseys. Would you, he talked about? It, he mentioned something like how do, how do I, who do I have to talk to, to to bring these back? Would you approve bringing back the pinstripe, the black, and then with red pinstripe jerseys? Hell yeah! I definitely remember when they debuted them. Yeah, uh, I was super excited about that. I think I was like nine or ten years old at the time. They debuted those in '96, I believe. Uh, so yeah, I was nine years old, but I remember when those happened, I've always liked the Bulls black jerseys. You can't beat the classic red, I feel like for the away jerseys, but the black is still dope. It's good to have that in the arsenal. I'd like to see the pinstripes come back. Yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. I feel like I throwback jerseys in general. Cool. It'd be cool if they also brought back the, the script Chicago jerseys from time to time as well. I do like, I did like the the city edition jerseys that they've had. I I bought a, I have a Larry Markin the black one that they wore this past year. Those are pretty cool so well. But if we get more throwback stuff, pinstripes, the cursive jerseys as well, I'm all for it. Uh, but that that is about all for us for now. Like I said, it's been pretty quiet uh, this the summer and going into August as well. It's obviously not that much going to be happening. I believe Thad is going to be playing at least going to that mini camp with the Team USA mini camp, which is starting up, I believe, next week, maybe next weekend. I think it's August 5th through 9th. And then the, the World Cup start starts in the middle of August. We'll see what the roster ends up being. Obviously, there have been so many withdrawals. We'll, we'll see what happens there. Uh, besides that, next month is always the real downtime and a bunch of – usually turns into just bad arguments on Twitter, people arguing about NBA 2K ratings and all that goofy stuff, people ripping on LeBron James for uh, getting too excited about his kids – AAU teams, just a whole bunch of nonsense. We'll we'll try to keep it exciting and uh, over the over the next month or two before training camp starts up again. But uh, for this week, uh, please or please, as always, shout out to Blue Wire Pods. Go check out uh, our Twitter account. We've been wrapping up stuff there. We've added a bunch of more bunch more pods pods from all over all over sports. For us, cash considerations. Please rate and review us. I uh, Apple Podcasts, Google. Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, all those good places. Please tell us how we're doing. If we if we can do better, we can always do better. Uh, so for this week, this has been Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast. Jason and Ricky, take it easy, man. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast.